Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. More pertinently, the Mets aren't interested in him right now. I called Steve Cohen after this news broke. Uh, of course, the owner of the Mets. And he said uh, very clearly that they're happy with Billy Epler. Billy's in charge. And, and they're just focused on other things right now. So, uh, well, you can't say that one couldn't say that David Stearns will never work for the Mets. Uh, this isn't going to be the development that that makes that happen. Billy Epler will stay as the uh, head of Mets baseball ops uh, at at this time for the foreseeable future. Not forever. Nothing's forever, but they're, they're not looking to interview Stearns now. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, October the 30th, 2022, of course. I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and do the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks. From the fan-sided podcasting network as well as risingapple.com. Welcome into another edition of the Talking Mets podcast. We have a lot to talk about today. No, it's not Halloween. I'm sure you're already getting ready for your trick-or-treating and your costumes. Are you dressing up as uh, maybe Noah Syndergaard, who's starting tonight for the Phillies? Are you dressing up as David Wright? Do you want to go back in time a little bit, or are you going to go a little bit more current maybe dress up as Buck Showalter, Jacob DeGrom. Oh, he's a free agent, so maybe you feel a little uncomfortable doing that. Well, whatever. Maybe Francisco Alvarez if you're uh, part of that uh, New Age future Mets fan base. So anyway, be safe on Halloween if you actually have already done parties or are going to do a party or go trick-or-treating. I'm just joking around. But a lot to talk about. David Stern's in the news we did the Big Ideas show last week. Now we're going to get a little bit more structured and, and go back to the offseason press conference with Billy Epler, what we heard, what we expect the Mets to do. Toxic fans. 
It is in the news, not related to the Mets fan, but toxic fans are in the news. How does it relate to the Mets? How does Nolan Arenado opting in to his contract with the Cardinals relate to the Mets? And, oh, yeah, Hives. There is a thing called Hives on social media. I learned that this week. Maybe you knew that. I didn't. And, boy, are they they're actually toxic and, and out of control. But it's weird about how it's changed the way fans, I guess, root or look at their team. And I learned about this on another podcast, so I'll share that with you. So, lot to talk about. Glad you had a chance to uh, spend a little bit of time here with me, coming to you on this Sunday morning. Not sure when you're going to download or listen to this, but coming to this on this, uh, coming to you on this Sunday morning. So, let's start uh, here. Before we get into the blueprint, before we get into the what I believe the Mets need to do and what I think they are looking to do. You heard coming in the news, David Stearns stepped down from his position running the Milwaukee Brewers. He'll be an advisor. And why is that important? You know, Mike, why is that important? Well, you know why that's important. David Stearns has been, for Mets fans, the apple of their eye for a long, long time. Look, he interned with the Mets, grew up here in New York. You know, he's considered one of the smart guys. Look, the Brewers have had a lot of success there in the uh, in a small market. For a while, there was speculation about the Mets trying to get permission, and I think they asked for permission to interview Stearns. And uh, the owner of the Brewers, uh, Mark Ananasio, said no. And, and look, these small market guys that are always playing this game that's stacked against them, when they have a chance to stick it to the big guy, and I've been saying this for a long time, there's, there's probably, maybe you want to take Hal Steinbrenner out of that, there is nobody of the other 28 owners that want Steve Cohen to do well. You don't think that there's jealousy among the owners about that? I mean, he wasn't a lock to even get approved. So you think when he wants somebody or somebody wants to work for him, that all of a sudden they're going to say, sure, go ahead. Let me gift wrap you over to the New York Mets. No, they're going to make it hard. They're either going to ask for crazy compensation like the Mariners did with Lou Pinella. You remember they wanted Jose Reyes many, many years ago. Or they're just going to say no because uh, they're just going to say, look, I'm not here to make you wealthier by increasing the value of this team, by helping you become a bigger icon in the sports scene in New York by winning a championship. I'm not just not going to do that. Now, with that said, I'll go back to this. I saw so many fans getting like all crazy about this thing. Like, ah, oh, the Mets need to do whatever they need to do to get David Stearns or else this offseason's lost. And what amazes me about the modern fan, and I go back, maybe I'm I almost feel like when I grew up, and I grew up watching baseball, started watching baseball like in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, and I developed or really got my teeth cut in the 90s, into the turn of the century. And then I took it to the next level when I got into this business and saw what a lot of insiders, how they look, and then the analytics revolution and all that other stuff. But I still feel like I've been, I've polished my way of looking at sports, but my foundations are the same. And when I grew up, the uniform was the uniform, and I wanted the team to win. Now, I wanted certain guys to be on the team, and maybe I wanted certain GMs. And it, GMs were not, like, household names. Like, yeah, Frank Cashman, we all knew. Al Harrison wasn't, like, talked about in the news all the time, like maybe David Stearns or Billy Epler is. Like, nobody looked at a GM, or even to a certain degree, and maybe more so a manager back then, as, like, the saving grace. It was all about the players. It was about winning. And... I look today and I look at young fans like they act like these executives have these omnipresent powers that they could come in and just 
almost like a magician make things happen. I'm like, that's not the way it happens. Like, yeah, they've done some good stuff in, in their markets, but if you look at the National League Central, it's not all that hard over the last few years to be competitive. You basically have the Pirates who haven't been good in ages, the Reds who are on and off being competitive. Um, yeah, it was tougher, I guess, at one point when the Cubs were good, but let's face it, with the amount of tanking teams that are out there, you are somewhat engaged and want to spend money and competent as a GM in this league. You should be able to win in the 80s, and now with the extended wild card, you should be able to get into the postseason. Now, I'm not knocking David Stearns at all, but the Mets have gone through five years, five years, going back to uh, almost six, since Sandy Alderson stepped down in 20, uh, was it 2018, when he got sick? And he stepped down, and they had a three-headed GM situation with uh, J.P. Ricciardi, Omar, and John Rico. They hired Brody Van Wagenen. You remember that. We've talked about this a thousand times. Then they fired Terry Collins in the midst of all that and hired Mickey Calloway. Mickey Calloway got uh, canned, and they brought in Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran didn't even make it to opening day, and they brought in Luis Rojas. And then Luis Rojas had issues, and they brought in Buck Showalter. In the midst of that, there's an ownership change. Brody Van Wagenen gets fired. They bring in Jared Porter. Jared Porter decides to, you know, get too involved in extracurricular activities. He's out. Sandy Olison, by the way, on and off is running the team in between all this. Zach Scott takes over. As much as he was applauded for what he did, some of his, uh, I mean, they're already purging the organization of his, uh, some of his hires you know, with Hugh Quattlebaum going and what have you. And, um, you know, he's here. He doesn't work out. He goes, you know, obviously has a bad night and an inexcusable thing with the drunken driving. And they go out and after an extensive search where nobody wanted to work for the Mets, I wonder if that would be the case today if they did the search. Clearly, you know, he had a little bit more desirable. Billy Epler gets the job and uh, the Mets have a great season, have their second best season win-wise in their history. And look, all the the trimmings of a contender for the next few years, at least, as they try to build up the infrastructure and the farm system. They have uh, this NASA team of analytics guys and girls and what have you. What do they have, like 30 people now in the lab? Everything that you wanted over the last you know decade or more, since Omar Minaya was a GM and, and, and there was the analytics revolution going on in Boston and you know, Tampa and Chicago and Houston, is really right in front of you. Now, it's being run by a guy in Billy Epler that you probably didn't think much about, who, by the way, as we've talked about, has this pedigree that goes back to Gene Michael, and Gene Michael, who goes all the way back to Casey Stengel. I mean, years and years. I had it, I was had the privilege of meeting Gene Michael down in Trenton many, many years ago. Only had a five-minute conversation with him. What a presence when you walked into the press box. And I was lucky enough to have a friend that was very close with Gene Michael, and I had like a 10-minute conversation. I always remember, I could share this now, he's passed. We talked briefly about Jim Bowden and the Roberto Kelly and Paul O'Neill trade and how Bowden was on, uh, I think it was XM Radio at the time, uh, and it still is, serious, I guess now, and talked about how the Yankees had all this foresight to uh, bring in Paul O'Neill when it was all about on base and it wasn't about you know slugging and all that stuff and how O'Neill fit that team and G. Michael looked at me, and I'm paraphrasing here. He goes, he didn't know about it when I made that trade. <laughs> that's right, because he asked for Roberto Kelly, and that's what happened. So, uh, you know, 
great baseball tree, just like Buck has a great baseball tree, although back to Casey Stegel too. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, years and years and years of baseball experience, that matters. It's not just about the lab, it matters. And here's the problem. It's almost like, and I learned this, this word, there's this thing called hives on social media. I won't get into what podcast, it was a sports podcast, because they have hives now uh, in another sport with all these different players. And what it, what a hive is, and if you know about it, and I sound like an old fart now, because I'm not all that cool when it comes to social media. You guys know that. I'm just not. You know, Come on. A hive, I guess, is fans that have these players or coaches or aspects of the organization, maybe thought processes like prospects, that they're only happy if their team wins and their hive is part of that. So, for example, there are going to be, and we've seen it actually here, there are fans that you know are in the Dom Smith hive. Like it's Dom Smith, Dom Smith. Like they're not really happy that the team wins and the person that replaces Dom really does better. No, they're not. They need to have – they still have to stick to their hive. It's almost like a, a virtue signal, so to speak. And a lot of this I think starts on the political personal side where everybody's got their badge and I'm going to stick with that. Even though you'd never do any kind of assessment, say is my thought process – can it evolve? Is it flawed? Can we mix all these different thought processes together or different people together and come up with a better solution? So they can't accept that. Once they get their hive, once they get their club, it's almost like a club. I mean, this goes back to the days I remember when I started on social media with forums. Like when you came into a forum, Mets Online fan forum, there's a place called Fan Home. I'm going way back when this all started. You probably, some of you might remember them. I mean, every, there was, you know, Grand Slam single. I could go on and on. I remember so many, so many. Every forum was like a club. Like there was people who were the, the Fonzies. Yeah, I don't sound, yeah, I, I guess I don't sound cool there, but like they were the cool kids of the club, virtual, of course. And if you went in there, you had to earn your stripes. And there was a loyalty, and it, it was stupid when you really think about it. And I never was into that. So I used to get kicked out of a lot of these places, especially if I expressed, like now on Twitter, I can't, you could get kicked off. Well, I guess here's the thing. Do you think I have a better, less shot of getting kicked off for talking Mets baseball now that Elon Musk is running Twitter? Is that possible? I didn't even think of that. It just came to my, that literally just came to my mind. Oh, I'm going to get myself all sorts of trouble here. But anyway, I could never get away with my opinions on Dom Smith and Dom Smith's lack thereof of being as good as I, as everybody thinks in the forums back in the day, because those hives would not allow it. Cause well, this is not our, this is not what we say here. Even though it's just an opinion, there's nothing wrong with it. So the point I'm bringing up here is that you're going to have a bunch of fans who have this hive for David Stearns, and they're just going to go on about it. They're not going to be happy. Anything that happens that they think is wrong, anything that's positive, it's not, Billy Epler won't do anything right. Anything that's right is because they have money. Anything that's wrong is because he's incompetent. I mean, I saw stuff on social media that think that the Mets won't be able to sign DeGrom and any top free agent Unless Stearns is the is the president. I'm like, huh? Like, all due respect, like, I'm not a GM. But if you said to me, Mike, here's a bucket of money, a big bucket, go out and sign these guys, I could probably do it too. I don't need David Stearns to do that. It's just spending money. Obviously, you need the people around you with the budget and the resources and how you stretch the contract and all that other fun stuff. But here's what I think is really interesting with the media as well. Did anybody really hear what the guy said? And then it's like, well, he said this, but he didn't mean it. Well, you're not in his head. It's kind of like the whole DeGrom thing. 
Like everybody, no, he never said anything about liking, disliking. The only insight, actually, actually Zach Wheeler gave you some insight info when he talked to him in the outfield in Citizens Bank Park back in August. And said, "I'm happy here." Obviously, he wants to get paid. I mean, that's that's everybody. There's not a person on this earth that doesn't want their market value. I don't blame him on that. But David Stern said, I kind of need a break. I'm kind of burnt out. I like to do this whole consulting thing. And that's that. I mean, there's. I mean, you could all have your conspiracies while he's waiting for them to release him from his contract to uh, go to Houston or New York. Well, you don't know that. And by the way, the Mets finally, for the first time, for the first time, uh, I mean, maybe Brody Van Wagenen had that a little bit after the 2019 into 2020 season. Then that goal got crazy because they spent so much time with the manager. They could actually build their team. They don't have to do a coaching search. They don't have to do a managerial search. They don't have to worry about sign stealing. Knock on wood. A lot of wood here. I got this oak studio desk that I'm knocking on. So you want to now upheaval everything, bring in a president of baseball operations who knows boo right now about this team. And the guy that, by the way, so think about how this looks to the rest of the league, smart guys and girls. I got to make sure I say both. I'm an outsider looking in. I was told a year ago from all the smart people in the industry that the Mets are too chaotic for people to want to work here. So let's compound that by getting a, uh, an individual in, Billy Epler, giving him the power, allowing him to do a really good job. And then the minute a shiny object is available, let's just toss him into the trash. Well, not totally. Let's demote him a little bit or take away his power and bring in his boss and start all over and probably push him out if the boss – because, like, if I'm David Stearns, I want my own guy. Does that make any sense? Does that sound to you – just be honest. Really be honest with yourself. Would you want to work for a guy like that? Because we all like to fancy Cohen as George Steinbrenner, and we all forget that the chaos of the 80s – and look, go to newspapers.com and sign up for a trial and read some old newspapers from the 80s. I mean, I've done it on some spare time. Like, it's amazing the craziness that the Yankees went through in the 80s with coaches and managers and and Bill Maddens and the Phil Peppies of the world getting quotes from Steinbrenner and chasing them down. I mean, Joel Sherman, I mean, who loves the Yankees, talks about his first beat – you know, chasing George Steinbrenner down back in the late 80s all the time on, on his podcast with John Heyman. Like, that's dysfunctional. And it almost n- created a situation where you had to sell the team. There was a point in time, I'll always remember this, I was driving home late, late, late at night. I think it was the summer of 95. The Yankees were floundering before they went on their run under Buck to make the wild card. And I know he's not, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, member of the Menza Club over here in Joe Benigno. But there was talk from Yankee fans and Benigno on the overnight back then in the mid-90s, the Yankees will never win a championship under George Steinbrenner. He has to go. And a lot of people feel if he wasn't suspended that G. Michael never would have made. I mean, there's some great books written about how the Yankees were built. And I really think Billy Epler is trying to mimic some of that, to tell you the, the truth. So I'm not saying the Mets are looking for a baseball uh, president of operations or, ba- or a team president, I should say, not a baseball team. But that's more of a business situation. And look, I've already seen some, I know the Mets are making all these changes to City Field again. We'll talk about that later on, but Steve Cohen looks at this team as a revenue stream as well. Yes, he wants to win. Yes, he wants to squash the narratives that are out there. Make no mistake about it. 
he understands that winning and what that can fuel in other aspects of the the field and the team. And he wants that. And that's with and that's not David Stearns. He's a baseball guy. He's a baseball guy. Okay, he's not there to be what Randy Levine is. You know, when you have a team president, I mean, when there was issues with New York City and possibly unvaccinated players not being able to play at home, guess who ran to City Hall? Randy Levine for the Yankees. Because he, obviously, his political background, he used to work in City Hall, I think, for Rudy Giuliani. That's the kind of business, political, and you want to build across the street in the garbage dump, you're going to need someone who knows how to navigate New York City. Baseball, baseball person can't do that. So what disappoints me, and I've jumped a little bit around here on all this, and I've gone longer on the intro than I probably want. You got a good organization. You got a good manager. You got a GM that comes from a good baseball tree. You've got an owner that feels comfortable with them. They've built all this synergy over 12 months. You're finally stabilized, and you yo-yos want to go out and upset it. Now, I'm not saying a year from now that they look at it and say this guy could come in and enhance it. But if I'm David Stearns and I'm late named team president, I want my own people, and that may not be Billy Epler. Like, that was last year's chance before Epler came in. I think now, if you really read the tea leaves, and Andy Martino, who's, he doesn't do opinion wrapped up and disguised as sourced information. He does sourced information. I tell you this all the time. He's the only one I trust. Everybody else has like info, but it's speculative from other people. It's their opinion, and they and, and it's not unethical. It's just you got to read through it. You got to get good at reading through it. You can if I do it, you can do it. I'm no I'm no genius here. You and I are the same. I just kind of pride myself on organizing the, my thoughts to the to, to the to the public by doing this show. So let's just chill out about David Stearns. Clearly, if you heard Martino on the clip coming in, if you listen to it, it ain't happening. Doesn't mean it won't happen in the future. But he's burnt out. Here's the other part. If he's burnt out in Milwaukee, you think you think he's going to come here and it's going to be any better? You think? I mean, we're going to do a segment on toxic fan bases and the Yankees fan. I mean, if you grew up a Yankees fan and you started your Yankee experience, like I started my Mets experience in the mid-80s at the, at, you know, the best era of Mets history probably up to this point. They may, there's a ton of fans that are alive right now that grew up, were young, maybe slightly younger than me, but their first baseball experience was the 90s Yankees. It don't get any better than that, guys. I have to tell you, I hate to break it to you. That's probably Nirvana. If that's what your goal is to be every day, every year for the rest of your life, you're always going to be. I can tell you, you're gonna, forget about 18% probabilistic outcome. You probably got a 0% or point less than 1% probabilistic outcome seeing that again. It's hard. Dynasties, especially in modern era, with now another round of playoffs, hard. And they're angry and, and, and ticked off and creating a toxic atmosphere at Yankee Stadium? Jeez, if you're a Yankees fan who grew up and that was your introduction, you have no reason to be angry. You can be disappointed and you want to have things change. I mean, I remember the guys from Nomos. They used to have that site, if I had $200 million at that time, that was a big payroll, to burn the Yankees never lose a game. I love those guys. Sensei John Kreese, Lane Meyer, they had all those handles from cheesy 80s movies that are now making a comeback if you watch Cobra Kai on Netflix. And, uh, 
and they they were kind of like the genesis of unhappy Yankee fans. But at least they were realistic when they used to come on my old NYBD show. This fan base is just like angry. You won 99 games. You pretty much make the playoffs every year. You're never in a rebuilding stage. You've got a right to be disappointed, but to be angry and toxic, we'll talk about that. I mean, you want to boo because you're upset about how they've performed against Houston? Houston was better. It's these hives. They're weird. Like you get in, in, the, in, in the Bronx, you have that anti-Aaron Boone hive and the anti-Cashman hive. And like, at some point, you could have an opinion. Look, I'm, I'm not – I mean, maybe you could say I have them with how I was like anti-Dom Smith. But if Dom Smith went out, hit 35 home runs and 115 RBIs this year and was the DH every day and backed up Alonzo at first, you wouldn't hear me complain. I'd be like, hey, I was wrong. I've talked a little bit about Zach Wheeler even on social media this morning. I still remind everybody what you saw last night on the road against a good offensive team is why I was hesitant to give Wheeler a big contract. But I've been wrong about the contract. It's a great value by today. By three, four years ago, I thought it was an overpay. Not an overpay. It was reasonable. But I was like, eh, you could probably get, a little, especially with a team with a budget. That was pre-Steve Cohen. I don't know if I want to invest $20-something million in a guy that could get hurt. Showed me that he couldn't come up big against big teams when they needed it at the end of 2019. I remember him getting hit hard against the Braves and the Yankees and the Nats on the road. So that's what I got for you on that. So anyway, that's my David Stern. You learned a new word, hives, social media hives. Now I'm, now I'm part of the cool club. We went back down memory lane on that one too with social media. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we did big ideas last week. We're done with the big ideas. Now we're going to start. And we're not going to dive it nitty-gritty into each segment. But I'm going to give you what I believe the blueprint for the offseason should be and what it is. I'm very connected because the way I think Billy Epler is going to approach it is the way I think we, that, that the Mets should approach it with the short window as they try to build up their farm system. And I'll give you what I believe the blueprint is realistically. And I'll, here, I'll give you a little teaser. Doesn't include Otani right now. Doesn't include Trey Turner. Doesn't include Aaron Judge. And it doesn't really include El Contra either. So with all the stuff we talked about last week, which is fun, off-season dreaming, Met fan dreaming instead of California dreaming, it's not part of realism. Now that could change, and I'll explain why. But we're going to be rooted in a lot of reality. We're going to do a lot of, as to quote Pete Alonso, good ball talk. Because you have to do what is realistic or what, is realistic for everybody. And then there's the pie in the sky and the things we'd like to see. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, Mets offseason blueprint. What do you think Billy Epler, what do I think Billy Epler is going to do? Let's set the table. We're going to be the Brandon Nimmo's of the Talking Mets podcast this week. We're going to set the table because I want to manage expectations and really start to put out there what I believe we're going to see as the World Series in about a week will be over. And then the fun for all of us here as we prep for 2023 and the hot stove silly season begins. That and more right after this. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big-time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. 
Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Jacob DeGrom, look, he's earned this free agency, right? He's going to make a lot of money no matter who signs him. Um, and I think from his perspective, he's going to want to see what is out there. And I, I think the Mets can go ahead and they can give him a nice offer right off the bat. But he's probably not going to sign that, especially given the uniqueness of the deal that he's going to get. Probably something short term. He's going to have some ultra short term offers for very, very high average annual values. He might have some longer term things. There's going to be a real curiosity on the part of him and his agent to see what's out there. So the idea of just striking while it's hot and getting the ground very early in the offseason, I think, is not going to happen. So I do think maybe you make him a competitive offer. You hope that he likes it. You hope that he's not offended by it. But then you let him explore what else is out there. At the end of the day, if you come back with the biggest money, I think you got a pretty good chance to get him back. Yeah, so with that all being said, Anthony, do you think it is an absolute must that DeGrom has to be signed by the Mets this well, offseason? you know, Chris, it is so complex, this question, because if it's just the pitcher and you're guaranteeing health, then, yeah, it's a must for him to come back because he's a, a big part of what they do there, and the one-two punch with him and Scherzer at the top of the rotation is key for this team to push f- further than they did this season. However, we know from observing him for the past couple of years that health is no guarantee with DeGrom. So it's you got to dig deep on it. And the Mets know him better than anybody, right? They've had they've their doctors have been all over this guy searching for whatever's been been holding him back over the past couple of years. You know, so I think it's going to be very instructive what they come out with and and how hard they go at him. And I know other teams will be watching the, the Mets actions on this as well. You know, but you do need to get that kind of pitcher at the top of the rotation. And if it's not DeGrom, who is it? Is it Carlos Rodon? Well, that's just repeating the same thing because he's got some health issues as well and he's not as good as Jacob DeGrom. So, you know, even with the risk, I like the idea of him coming back, but, you know, the Mets need to do due due diligence here, guys. All right, we're back. So you got to love, you heard the uh, the guys over at SNY... uh, Anthony DeComo and uh, Anthony McCarron talk about Jacob DeGrom. And you got to love it. The Mets don't have to <laughs> offend Jacob DeGrom with their offer. Now, if the Wilpons were part of it, they would probably be looking for some kind of deal that's deferred. They already did that. Hometown discount. There's no offer. that's. I mean, unless they go out and say, hey, we'll give you a one-year deal for, you know, <laughs> what? 
you know, they, he made an he had a, he actually took a pay decrease from what at least Cott's contract said he was in the twenty five million dollar range because he he they they front loaded the contract, um, you know, for basically a minimal raise. Then yeah, I guess he'll be insulted and he'll say goodbye. But there's no offer that's going to insult because the Mets aren't going to play. They know they're not going to even play in that field. They're not playing in that field anymore. They're not you know the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, as far as due diligence, at, at some point, guys, do you really think, and this is what I think fans think, that the season ended about three weeks ago or so, and that Billy Epler's been out, ah, let me put this stack of work, I'm going to take a little break here, it's been a long season, go apple picking with the family, oh, we got hit Halloween parties, uh, let me dress up as uh, a minion, and uh, oh, yeah, I got to take the kids trick-or-treating, and uh, yeah, that paperwork about the Grom, what do we got, ah, a few days after the World Series, ah, I got time, I'll get to it. You know, uh, and then like he wakes up the day of the World Series. Oh, let me go get those doctors and uh, uh, let me let me make sure that this guy's, uh, you know, let's start doing our due diligence. No, they've been doing that for a while. Actually, they probably started doing that as they built this year's team that just passed because that's how you plan. Organizations, they don't just fly by the seat of your pan- their pants. Now, with the Wilpons, because of cash flow, you had to have that daily in and out. It was very hard to plan. There's a book about that. Howard Mandel, our friend, wrote about it. That's not this guy. You think this guy's worth $15 because he woke up today and said, oh, let me see if I can do this. Like something there's a need for that based on organization and structure and cash and money. That's not how successful teams are run. And that's why you brought a new owner in or were happy that the new owner came in. So they've done their due diligence. Let me start here. If the Mets don't sign any of their big – uh, free agents. Forget about Walker and potentially Carrasco or any of the component pieces like a Michael Givens and so on and so forth. If Diaz, DeGrom, I'll even throw in Bassett and Nimmo. They're four big. Or you want to throw Bassett on the peripheral? Four big. If any of them don't sign, it's for one of two reasons. A, the Mets don't want them. Or B, they got a really good offer that the Mets look at and say, I just don't think the the squeeze is worth the juice. It's not because they're unprepared. It's not because they can't afford them. It's because it just doesn't make sense in the the scope of what they're trying to do long term. Remember, it's about winning now and winning in the future. That's been a mantra all the way back to when Brody Van Wagenen was here. Now, I think you have a window here to win that's going to require you. And Billy Epler said it. See, Listen to what he said, and then listen to Joel Sherman talk about, well, Steve Cohen was on our podcast. Okay, name drop. We got it. You could get access to Steve Cohen. And he said you're not going to go above $300 billion. No. Listen to it. Unless, and Tell me if I'm wrong. I heard that he says, I don't see why you can't have a good team with a $300 million payroll. That's what he said back in August, I think it was. And that's true. Now, I'll say a caveat here. When your farm system is not ready to produce impact-level players, and you have a number of impactful-level players that are free agents, and your farm system is debatable about whether it could produce anything more than iffy depth, then, yeah, you got to spend a little bit more. And I'll just give you, like, my quick... Back of the napkin, back of the paper bag, your choice. You have a napkin in front of you. If you're eating your breakfast, your egg sandwich, because we're at, it's 9 o'clock plus in the morning, then use the napkin. If it's you know lunch, sometimes it's the paper bag, right? Could be both. Take your paper bag, take your napkin. 
DeGrom, Nimmo, Diaz, Bassett. Bassett's in line for a raise of about $12 million. DeGrom is in line for a raise of close to $20 million. That's $32 million. Diaz is in, a li- in line for a $10 million raise. That's $42 million. Nimmo's in line for a $17-ish million raise. That's f- it's almost, almost $60 million bucks extra in payroll. The Mets' opening day payroll was $264 million. This payroll needs to go to about $330 million for them to stay competitive. And when I say that, not in the muck, be an elite, stay competitive with the elite top five teams. If you believe only five or six teams have a legit shot, now I know it's a tournament and we get into the, what the Phillies done, that's could happen but that's not how you build your roster. If that's what your mindset is, then the same thing you've been railing about with the Will Ponds is what you're advocating for. I'm not advocating for that. I'm saying if the Mets want to be in that top right now, today, for the next year or two, they're going to have to invest an extra $60 million in those four guys. You want to say Bassett's the one that you're kind of like, eh, okay. But we'll get to that. And we'll, you know, we're not going to dive deep because we don't have enough time to dive deep into everything. We'll break this down a little bit more in future shows. But I want to get a real top-line view. This offseason, I believe the plan is, at the very least, to retain the three big guys. That's DeGrom, Diaz, Nimmo. Forget about what Colorado wants. Forget about the Texas Rangers and what they want. Forget about all the opposing uh, executives who tell... Uh, you know, John Heyman or Mike Puma, whoever that, you know, he wants to go play in Atlanta or he doesn't like the Mets because nobody doesn't talk to him. Everyone's got an opinion about someone else's club. Or focus on your own club. It's like, oh, your house is really ugly. You should really do something with that siding. Well, look, did you ever look at your place? And look at your driveway? Your driveway needs a paving. You guys in suburbia will understand that. Maybe in the city too. Um, this offseason is based on all that, and that is the Mets are going to want these guys. Now, in order to – there is a budget. You know, the payroll is not going to be a half a billion dollars, not not yet, not this offseason anyway. So there's going to have to be some robbing Peter to pay Paul. And the big issue you have right now is you're not sure what you could get from your farm system. Let's go through it. Back up a minute here. Let's go through. Let's back up one minute. I'm I'm jumping ahead. See, I'm getting so excited. I'm jumping ahead. When you talk about building the team, I believe when you build a team, you have to focus on, and I really think Theo Epstein on Sherman and Heyman's podcast laid it out, not principles that are so like, oh, oh my God, that was such a smart thing to say. It's like what we talk about, but he organized the thoughts well. You want in the postseason top of the rotation impact. Billy Epler admitted that in his his postseason end of the season presser. You want an elite closer, not many of them out there. You have probably the best in the game. If you want to say Josh Hader is right there, okay. Uh, you don't want to just be a team that bullies bad pitchers. You want a team that could hit and compete against good pitchers and manufacture runs. It seems like they have that. I guess that's a debate because of what happened against the Padres. And you want to play good defense in the postseason. Mets have, I think, the hitting and the defense, they kind of have that covered. The top of the rotation, the closer is where the iffiness comes. Now, Nimmo not being a part of that offense, that's where this could go a little haywire. So actually, the free agency hits everything, hits every one of those top components. These top three guys hit, and then you put Bassett as maybe on the peripheral. You're not worried right now 
when you're building your team. You're worried about building for the season, but the first thing you do November 1st or whenever the, the, the World Series ends, you don't worry about your, your four or five starters, your bullpen depth. You know, all those things that round up the roster, you have to play that roulette table a little bit throughout the offseason. You've got to get your foundation, your core, your top 8, 9, 10, 11 guys, your core roster pieces. You've got to get those guys signed. Or, you know, you got to get that done. And you got to fit everybody else in that budget. Now, when you look at that, you're like, Mike, I don't understand how they're going to do this. They have Carrasco, they have Walker. And I keep hearing Carrasco's it's such a smart thing to resign him. Uh, really? Because I'm going to tell you right now how you're going to be able to. That's 60 million bucks that you almost. Because I believe Bassett needs to come back. When I look at Bassett, unless you're willing to go out and Go against the Dodgers for Tyler Anderson. There's Sean Manai out there who wasn't great in San Diego. Martin Perez. Jose Quintana who's, let's face it, had a little bit of a resurgence but has had an iffy resume. There is a big downgrade. Now, Bassett gave you innings. Bassett gave you wins. Bassett is a competitive SOB. Yes, what he said about New York, I guess, bothers you a little bit. And he had a bad postseason uh, start. He had a bad start in Atlanta. Did he learn from that? They know what's inside the engine better than us. And if the answer is they're concerned about the engine, well, outside of him taking the, the option, which then you, you got him, then there's not much you could do about that. You just move on. They'll know that. I don't believe his engine is bad, but the heat was turned up, and there is a fa- it's fair to question that. Still, you need, the, you need Bassett in that rotation, especially with two older pitchers and Scherzer and DeGrom. So I'm going by the $60 million that you're going to have to reinvest in that. The first way you reinvest in that is you say goodbye to Taiwan Walker, who's probably going to get a contract like John Gray, close to $15 million a year. And yes, you get you pay the $3 million bucks to Carrasco, and you say that $11 million, I could probably get what you do for less. Oh, you're going to say, well, Mike, how can you say that? Carrasco had a great year. What do you have, 15 wins, 16 wins? I'm going to go look at this right now. Because uh, I, I don't really look at numbers like like to the like the nitty gritty here. Yeah, so Carrasco was a 15 game winner. You know, guy went into the seventh inning, had a 3.97 ERA. Uh, I'm gonna give you something a little bit of a nugget here about these two guys, Carrasco and Walker. Um, Taiwan Walker was 10 and one against teams below 500. Against teams above 500, he was two and four with an ERA over five. You remember the start against the Braves in August after they had that nice one on Thursday night? Got clobbered. Carrasco was 10-3 and three against teams in the 500. Against good teams, 5-4 and four with a 6 ERA. You remember the start in St. Louis? He got clobbered. Milwaukee. You know, I, now, you understand later in the year he had the oblique because he was pitching really well in July. A lot. And, and I'll, I'll even tell you, both of these guys had about four, four or five starts against the Marlins. One of the worst hitting teams in all of baseball. You take away Walker's starts against Miami. He's got a 3.75 ERA. Still pretty good. Now, he had that little second-half decline, again, back-to-back. Carrasco, ERA over four without Miami. So you take the Marlins out, they're a little more pedestrian. Personally, yes. What they did against bad teams, both those guys, is why you won 100 games instead of 95 or 93 or 92. I guess my question—and they saved the bullpen many, many, many nights. Many, many, many nights. And there's a certain amount of— resume on both those guys that guarantee you a certain floor of performance that if you go and play the market with other pitchers or guys like a Wade Miley, let's say, who's been a little bit down, 
or a Mike Miner who's had down years that you think you got. This is where all these smart guys in these labs that they hire that have these salaries that are told they tell everybody how smart they are and how I look at L.A. and Tyler Anderson going there and all of a sudden he's a, almost a top of the rotation guy. And every bullpen arm that the Rays touches turns to gold. I'm like, well, when is this going to happen? Yankees, same thing. When is this going to happen here? Because I hear about all the money being spent into analytics. Now, to be fair, the Mets have hit on, you know, Aaron Loop on the offseason, uh, Adam Aravino. These were guys that you would not have thought would have performed at the elite bullpen levels they did. So they're starting to turn the worm a little bit. But we need to see more of that because it seems like anybody the Dodgers targets, Dodgers off front of his targets, it, it's, let's say – iffy guys, scrap heap guys, guys who have potential but need to bring it to the next level, they turn to gold. So you're going to need some of that. Because right now, I don't think adding another 11 million, you know, $26 million, you know, 11 million, well, actually more, 14 million for Carrasco and potentially the same, if not maybe a little bit more for uh, Walker, $29 million for guys who are going to be four or five starters who may not get the same amount of starts against a bad Miami offense, who did not perform well against teams above 500, who couldn't even make the postseason roster, by the way. Initially, Walker made it after Joely Rodriguez got hurt. I don't see how you could invest that. Now, you need those kind of guys to get through the regular season, but that's where your David Petersons and your Tyler McGills and your Jose Butos and and maybe you go on the market and you get a Corey Kluber or a Wade Miley who are free agents. Maybe a Mike Miner is a scrap heap guy. you got to start to look and see who are these guys that are underperforming elsewhere, have talent that could do what these guys do as my four and five starters because I'm not going to worry about them in the postseason because I have my big three. I have my DeGrom, I have my Bassett, I have my Scherzer. You built it on Scherzer and DeGrom last offseason. If you're going to rip it apart now, then you shouldn't have done it last year. You should have pushed harder for Robbie Ray and Gosman or maybe another direction. You went the Scherzer route. Once you went the Scherzer route, you kind of married yourself through his contract that you were going to go and roll the dice with older pitchers at the top of the rotation. You want to say you let DeGrom walk? There's Verlander, there's Rodon. Rodon, as DeComo pointed out, actually it wasn't DeComo, it was uh, McCarron. Very much an injury risk. And what makes you think Verlander wants to leave Houston? Now, if you offer him another $20 million, what makes you think the Yankees won't do that? You're going to have competition there. Does he want to play in New York? I mean, with all that's going on with the toxic fan base, we'll get to that on the way out here. You know, people are watching. You know, you're oh, well, just, ah, you know, DeGrom leaves. DeGrom is happy here. He's just upset that he's he signed the contract that was team-friendly. That's his fault. He should be mad at himself. And, you know, he could... And I, by the way, the market in 2019 when he signed it and now is different, so I think he's not looking at this totally correctly, if you ask me. Market exploded. I never would have thought someone would get $43 million a year, even Max Scherzer. At his age, things changed. You better be sure you could sign those guys. I'm not. Because if anyone, if Nimmo leaves, if DeGrom leaves, if Diaz leaves, your entire offseason blueprint that I'm lining up here for you, Changes dramatically. Then maybe the big ideas come into play. Then you've got to take Otani more seriously. Then you've got to take the Trey Turner situation more seriously. Because you don't have anybody that the downgrade is tremendous. Now, if you want to build a team that could kind of win 85, 86 games, get into a wild card round, maybe make improvements or be opportunistic during the uh, in season, you can do that. And you're not going to have to go above $300 million. You want to see what Alvarez has, Beatty has, Vientos has? You might have to do that on the offensive side. See, that's that's the trade-off. Your trade-offs to keep those big guys are Walker and Carrasco, bye-bye. 
Let's play the market on the back end of the rotation. Let's give Budo a chance to earn a fifth spot. Peterson, McGill. You got to then say, I need to see what Alvarez could do with the DH. I can't go out and get a Jose Abreu or a Trey Mancini. Unless the market dries up as the offseason goes uh, further and further, Josh Bell, on those guys. Then if you might want to be opportunistic as you get towards Valentine's Day, fine. But you're going to have to say, I'm going to use my young guys are going to give me the power that I need or that I feel I need to help my offense continue to be what it is and grow. You know, that's where those those, those two things then are problematic once Nimmo walks out the door, once DeGrom walks out the door, and certainly Diaz. You think Adovino or Craig Kimbrell or Kenley Jansen, you think you're going to, you, you thought you felt bad about Diaz in the past, you're right back to square one. The Mets didn't blow a game in the ninth inning and lose this year. I mean, think about that. Now, that's not going to happen ever, ever again, probably. That's probably a once-in-a-lifetime li- once scenario. And now, maybe Diaz is Mariano, and we got, like, I know that's sacrilegious. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the baseball gods now and say, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. I don't mean to say that, or I don't want to offend anybody. I'm just being facetious there. Um, but, yeah, you know, you might have a four-year window where this guy is every bit Mariano. You've got to – these things – these guys don't come around. Like, we have this, like – fungible fantasy baseball nature to looking at things. Like, you have these guys here. Diaz wants to be here. I believe Nimmo, I mean, think about Nimmo after that Dodger catch and how he looked up at the stands and said, wow. Like, that tells you they know what this place could be. Hopefully, how bad and negative it got the last two weeks doesn't sway them. I'm Nimmo. I'm from, uh, what is he, from Nebraska, Wyoming, somewhere out there. Uh, And Colorado gives me a stupid deal. I might consider it better quality of life. You know, he's living in Long Island City. Maybe his wife likes it out there. You don't know. You don't know what the personal aspect is. But you got to make it hard for him to say no. And everything I told you, here's what these contracts are going to look like. Bassett's going to get $20 million a year average. Nimmo's going to get twenty five. To say that that's crazy, you're not looking. He's an elite run creator. He's playing above average defense. Maybe he could develop himself into a good base stealer, base runner. And he seems to improve. Every, I know he's older, but every year. That's a really good up the middle, high level talent. DeGrom's going to get 45 plus million dollars a year, maybe 50. That's it. Yeah, that's the market. Diaz is going to get probably, if Liam Hendricks is getting 18 and a half million, he's going to probably get 20. Maybe you could shave a million or two and make it a little bit heavier later in the contract, depending on how you want to structure it. That's for Cohen. And I mean, the AAV is the AAV. How you get there, that's not for me to decide. I don't, I'm not in those negotiations. I'm not even going to speculate on that. But that's your blueprint. And once those guys go, then we have to pivot. So your blueprint is sign the big three, hopefully big four bats. Because even if you let bats at walk, what is it, Andrew Haney, Tyler Anderson? I mean, maybe like you could justify those guys, especially Tyler Anderson is intriguing. But I mean, they're not necessarily going to cost you a lot less. You know, maybe Tyler Anderson, probably Tyler Anderson might, because you know his resume is you know. But there are teams like Texas, like you start to talk about these teams that want to compete. As you get into the 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 market shrinks, your your B or C level talent is what's left. When A and B talent leaves the marketplace, they tend to get overpaid by a notch. That's happened since the age of time and free agency where guys get overpaid for being there or they're there when there's only one musical chair left. So forget the big ideas. The way this team is being built, go back to what Theo Epstein said. Billy Epler said he wants to keep the top of the rotation impact. 
He likes the offense. I don't think he's going to invest big in offensive players right now. He has his offense, but he's going to want to keep Nimmo because by keeping Nimmo, he keeps his offense. The closer, we know what that's all about. The defense, they have defensive players. They've got speed with Marte and Lindor, and maybe they could get Nimmo to start using his instincts better and to stay healthy if he becomes a bit more aggressive on the base paths. Don't worry about the bullpen. Look, Aravino, Lugo, guys like that, you're going to have to play the market with those. I mean, you can't get a—I mean, maybe Aravino stays because of the hometown connection, but I can't make those guys a priority because I need Diaz. I need DeGrom. If you don't have Diaz, DeGrom, Nimmo, and Bassett, it don't matter if you have Aravino. It don't matter if you have Lugo. It don't matter all those other guys, Givens. You know, what, are you going to build a rotation with Scherzer, Walker, Carrasco? I mean, that's what you'd have to do if the Wilpons were owning it. You're not there anymore. Because I'm looking out there. I mean, you got Andrew Haney, injury risk. He's out there. Tyler Anderson, he's interesting. Shomaniah, down year, but has some potential. You know, Wade Miley, veteran. Mike Miner, Michael Walker's out there. You've been there, done that, but he's been much better since he left the Mets. I thought his peripherals weren't bad with the Mets. I mean, that strike, that... um. COVID season was ridiculous. I mean, there's nothing there. that I can't take take that. I mean, you want to go scrap heap, go back to Rich Hill route? You can, you can still do that. You're going to have to do that. But you don't, you know, let that happen. Like, that's your core strategy. Then, you know, now, if DeGrom, no, DeGrom is a big part of all this because if DeGrom walks for, hey, you make him a competitive offer, but he wants to be in Texas or whatever, then you know what? God bless him. Then you have yourself... $25 million to play with. Then maybe the conversation about Trey Turner becomes real again. Maybe you have, But you have to rebuild the team. The way you're building the team with top of the rotation, I don't think you're going to see. That's your top of the rotation team building is with DeGrom. I don't think Rodon, I don't think Verlander. I mean, maybe on a short day, maybe you, you definitely go after Verlander at that point. But, you know, you even saw Verlander in the postseason in the World Series. Uh, couldn't hold a lead. So, I mean, I mean the... <laughs> These top of the rotation guys, the clock expires on you overnight. I keep going back to Tom Glavin. So the blueprint is simple. Keep the top of the rotation. Keep the way the offense is and have the young players supplement it. Keep the defense. Have your elite closer. And, you know, play with your back in the rotation with some of your depth. You don't have much depth. You don't even have much bullpen depth. Yeah, hey, you have De La Oca. You have Orzi. You might have a few guys that could... Could help you on the bullpen. That's your depth. Those are your Juan Lopez's of the 2023 season. You've you know you could find veterans. You got to go find the value veterans like these other big market teams do because they don't worry about signing Lugo and Adovino and those guys. They worry about keeping their stars and they round out their roster. That's the blueprint. And nothing will happen on this show. Will mimic the offseason. We are going to focus on the big name free agents and the core of the roster before we get to the fringes. Not going to break down the bullpen today, but I will tell you something, and I'm going to wrap. I'm going to take a quick break and then wrap up. The days of speculative—they're great for the future. My, you know, the the, the future is so bright. My, I have to wear shades with Alvarez and Beatty and Vientos. I've got to start seeing something. Now, Alvarez had surgery, and he only had a small sample size. So I, you know, Beatty had some big hits. A little bit raw on the defensive side. He's going to need some time, and you could maybe matriculate him into the offense. Nobody's being handed a spot. I know that with Buck. Vientos against left-handed pitching, can he give you, certainly rough with such a low bar, but 
can he cheaply give you what Ruff, what Ruff was supposed to do, and then you trade Ruff and maybe gets back you know bullpen arm or something like that. That's something I could look at. But you need those guys to step up because if they turn out to be busts, you know you're going to have a then your depth on offense becomes a problem. Then your Eduardo Escobar's out two weeks becomes a problem. This year, you're able to deal with Escobar being out. Remember, you didn't have to worry about Lindor being out and Pete Alonso because they got, you know, they he dodged bullets with the hit by pitches and Lindor played every day. And the only injury that really, really hurt you was Marte. And that was a hard guy. And you have a guy like Jake Mangum, you know, I think I'm saying his name right in the in the minor leagues, an outfielder. You may have you have some guys that can help you on the offensive side. The bullpen, you may have some guys, but you just don't have any starting pitching. Like, that's where this DeGrom and Bassett part is so critically important. I mean, Jose Buto, maybe he pitched well down the stretch for Syracuse. But those are guys that are your four, five, six, seven. That's why I'd, I'd consider bringing back Trevor, Trevor Williams if that's feasible and it's reasonable, depending on how his market goes. There's a lot of teams I could see spending money to bring him in because he pitched so well and then maybe flipping him at the deadline, a bad team that needs pitching to fill innings. So we'll see. So that's the offseason blueprint. That's... I believe how they're going to go to go to uh, market, and if any of those big guys don't sign or they pivot, then I think it's going to be interesting where they go because you're going to tear apart the fabric of how the team is built. Then maybe it's not built on top of the rotation anymore. Maybe you beef up the offense. Maybe you beef up the bullpen, and you know, or you know, how much, how much of going into the season do you leave room? Because you're going to have to leave room to play around. And do you pivot to a big idea in this offseason, like Otani? We're not there yet. I believe that's not plan A, at least, unless always opportunity, opportunistic. They're probably already talking about stuff like that. They probably already have an idea if DeGrom leaves. And I think they have an idea if any of these guys are not signable. Believe me, they already kind of know. They've had conversations before the offseason. They're not sitting around waiting for a call on the day after the World Series. They talk to their guys throughout the season. They kind of know. Obviously, it's business. You want to see what other offers are out there. That's their right. Everybody wants to do that. But when you know where you want to be, the other offers are there to do due diligence that you're getting your market value. That's in any business. And look, we'll get to this in the in the outro here, but Arenado opting back in in St. Louis. Yes, he likes to play in St. Louis, but here's a guy that was elite third base, gold glove, elite uh, defender offense, five-year contract, average AAV of about $30 million a year. He might also be talking to his agent, like, agent and saying, hey, we don't know what this economy is going to look like. I'm in a place I like. You know, is it worth another five, six, seven million dollars AAV? You know, that we don't know how the economy and what's going on in the world is going to impact baseball. It will. And I think it will cause the Mets to be cautious in some areas, just maybe not now. You know, there's a lot of pressure to build up this farm system. Uh, and look, if Steve Cohn comes out and says, look, this, the market stinks. Global recession, I can't go above $300 million. Then there might be a situation where they have to make a choice at the top of that free agent market. And maybe Grom is the sacrificial lamb. Maybe Nimmo. But it changes the whole offseason and makes this far more dynamic and far more interesting. My goal from from the start of, of, of Buck coming in is find a way to keep this band together in the next three years on the Bucks contract, on the Scherzer's contract, because I think you have a great opportunity to win while you build up the farm system because I think there'll be a drop-off and a recalibration period. You don't want that to be year two after you've built so much equity and to a certain degree are coming off a big disappointment that could potentially hurt the brand. 
We'll talk about City Field after the break and some of the changes, but you expect that place to be packed. You you got to give them some. You're already against against the winds here because of what happened at the end of the season. You heard that with our luminaries on the panel. Nobody's just going to be excited. They're going to be tepid because there's this fan base and where they're at in today's world is so much like once I get burnt, I don't even want to walk in the kitchen anymore. So anyway, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. There's more negativity surrounding this franchise coming from fans, coming from media, coming from social media than I've personally seen in my time covering the team. And I know that there are a lot of people in the organization, Sal, who feel that way too. They're looking at how can we uh, possibly protect these players from um, all the social media stuff that at their age they're sort of native to looking at. I think there's a lot more opinions for them to see now, and that's difficult. And then I know that the last two games of the Houston series, as they're being swept in the stadium, I was there. It was it was very negative. I understand. I'm not faulting fans for being uh, disappointed. Right. But I'm reporting as a fact that players were like, wow, you're booing Aaron Judge. Even Josh Donaldson, who is a difficult person and a difficult teammate in a lot of ways not to everybody but you know it's not an easy guy to like for some he almost became a sympathetic figure in the Yankee organization because they were booing him so so loudly I know of a couple players that told their agents kind of on the way out the door this season that man it was really brutal at Yankee Stadium Uh, and now we can argue until the cows go home if players should or shouldn't be bothered by this but the fact is enough are enough in the organization are really like reeling from the negative coverage and the negativity the Yankees still have this thing where they think like hey we finished second in the American League like why do you hate us so much right and and look again that's a side conversation I I, I can see the logic there and I can see fans being argued Uh, but the fact is that if you're Aaron Judge and you're getting booed after hitting 62 home runs and now you have a decision to make you think that's not going to be some kind of factor asking, well, Mike, why are you playing an SNY clip of the Yankees and Judge and the toxicity over at Yankee Stadium to round out your show? Because it's a theme that I've talked about quite a bit since the Mets were in the postseason. And I've even been looking a little bit about you know some of the other teams in this area. And every team deals with booing and people angry about underperformance. But I look at teams like the New York Rangers, who have had some really good moments over the last 15 years. But I've also had some really rough patches with not making the playoffs and presidents. Like, I think it was Glenn Sather who was controversial there. I mean, the Islanders, you know what all that went on with Milbury and Garth Snow and, you know, all the things that went on with ownership there. The Knicks, I mean, there's been so much. I mean, Dolan doesn't even allow his team uh, to speak to the media outside of the, the locker room. That's how bad the coverage and how toxic it's been. But the fans in all those scenarios, the media has been toxic Across, they're always toxic, and sometimes I mean, look, a lot of times unfair because of clickbait and the way that the competitiveness of the landscape is. But the fans seem to be, in my opinion, right now, with the football teams playing well, I think maybe that ties into it. The fans' toxicity seems to be centered in on the Mets and the Yankees, and it's interesting because why one team won 101 games and has the richest owner in the sport. And stars up and down the roster. The other team, since 1996, has, what, five World Championships? They had four in five years, 96, 98, 99, 2000. They have five World Championships. 
Five World Championships in 26 years. That's way above the, you know, it's, well, it's kind of 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. Yeah, it's about, about 20. It's a little bit like that's what best case scenario is. As Billy Epler said, you have an 18% chance of winning the World Series. They're at, that's the best teams. They're at the top of the probabilistic outcome. There's no reason to be upset. Every year they've pretty much made the playoffs. Yeah, they're kind of like, I think it's about the process where I think the the fans would like to see um, maybe more, uh, you know, maybe a switch when when they when they they're so loyal to certain players like Gary Sanchez and I'm doing a very outsider's view. So I'm, I'm, but I think that they'd like to see the mix of players they bring in be a little bit different. Maybe have a little bit more of that. What I think the Mets did with Escobar and Canna, that character or that you know intangibles outside of what the data indicates. That shows that they can be not only good players, but good players in New York and and connect. Part of this is marketing. When you build a team, how they could connect within, in the case of this, the Yankee brand, case of the Mets, the Mets brand. What I feel is a problem, and I I don't have the quote, and I'm not going to play him because I don't like him. I personally don't like him. I've had issues with him personally. I don't particularly care for his brand. Uh, Is Craig Carton said something, and, and I'm paraphrasing here. Basically, hey, this is what we do in New York. We boo. We treat – and he didn't say this, but we treat people like crap if we want to. That's that's a real paraphrased quote that I think a lot of fans are living on. And I've seen fans say, well, it's my right with the prices being what they did to boo and treat these guys like crap until they give me what I want. Okay, you could do that. I'm not going to argue. But you think players are going to be like Nolan Arenado and sign back – to St. Louis. And by the way, you could say, well, they clap whether you win, you lose, they show up and have a good night. Uh, they are drawing from just more than St. Louis. They draw from the Cardinals in a lot of ways, and to a certain degree, the Cubs are like Midwestern teams, just like the Braves are a team of the South. So they're drawing, I think, from outside of just their city. New York is not the team of the Northeast. You have Boston, you have Philadelphia. So you have more than just New York. And you have a, you split New York into two, so it's different fan experiences. Maybe it's not apples to apples, but I gotta tell you that the end of the year, the last two weeks of the season, even from my take of what I do here, I wasn't having as much fun as I should have, and that really has been sticking in my craw for a while because of the whining, the unrealistic expectations. The toxicness of every time this team lost two games in a row, the sky was falling. They won 101 games. More than likely, they're not going to win that many next year. And if you were miserable this year, I can only imagine what you're going to be next year. And I'm already hearing we had the panel, and I think these guys were right, concerned that the fans are so disappointed that they're going to hold this team arm's length all summer until they see the postseason and they see them compete and win. And then we'll embrace them. And I'm like, that can make for a long season. We saw that movie play out after 06 and 07, 08. And look, the fans didn't collapse the team. That team had structural flaws. But I was always surprised in 07, the lack of enthusiasm. The team mirrored the fan energy, which was, we'll wait till the postseason to get excited. Well, there wasn't a postseason. Sometimes that thing called self-fulfilling prophecy comes back to bite you. So I got to tell you guys, if you're listening to this and you're a Mets fan, I'm not telling you to be Pollyannish. I'm not telling you to accept whatever garbage they put in the field. But if the team is built with intelligence, the effort is there, and they get beat, 
I'm going to be mad? Like, what do I really have to be mad about covering the Mets over the last 12 months? What do I, what do I have to be mad about? What, they, didn't, they don't have David Stearns as a team president? They got one hit by Joe Musgrove? Good pitcher. Let me tell you, Joe Musgrove is a free agent. Wouldn't you maybe want to sign him over Bassett? Maybe. He was a guy that I wanted him to go after a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, you mad that Zach Wheeler's in Philadelphia? Well, you know, we've, we've been down that road. It's funny. You don't sign Bassett. You want to bring Syndergaard back? Might regret that. That almost was your Bassett replacement if he had if he accepted the qualifying offer, which everybody thought. So I, I got to tell you, I think we need to reframe our sports experience. I mean, are we so angry about the world around us? And I understand that. There's a lot to be annoyed about, regardless of your belief system. I understand that. But this is supposed to be the respite, and it's not. And I think a lot of people, I have to say, maybe it's a, an indictment on social media and why I kind of, like, I'm not really all that, I'm on it, but I kind of, like, have its place and I back out because I think when you live in it 24-7, it really has a negative impact. I know that's a, a top-line narrative, and I'm not here to talk about that, but I just don't understand it. And the baseball teams, I think, are right now the center of the toxicity. And they're also the center of the the media. Tro- I mean, look at the trolling that has already gone on with Diaz with a Yankees. I mean, I know that's their business model. But be, you know, when we did a big idea show here on Talking Mets, I was clear, hey, these are just fun ideas. None of these things probably will happen. And if they do, they're they're very complicated. And it's funny, if I was a writer for the New York Post and I put an Alcantara deal out there, there'd be a large percentage of the fan base that would say, oh, Mets are looking at Alcantara. The Marlins are willing to take you know this and this for Alcantara. No, 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 no. I, I'm just piecing together a deal I'd offer. Now, what will the, the, this is where the marketing and the sales component of the business comes into play. Somebody will say, well, this – I'll talk to a rival executive. I'll call Riley and say, hey, uh, you know, Mike Silly, how you doing? I could do that. I have a couple of people in business like call and say, what do you think if I were the Mets and I do boop, 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 boop for Alcantara? And they say, yeah, I, here's the five of the Marlins, what I know about them. They look for this. They look for this. All this is speculation. I come and write a sourced piece – what the Marlins could be looking for in this deal. Well, that doesn't mean that they're even looking to trade Alcantara. You see the difference? And then the anger starts when it doesn't happen. Oh, Billy Epler is a failure as a GM. No, you're just not managing your expectations. You're not understanding. What I will go into, and I will say this time and time again throughout the offseason, I say this all the time, and if you listen, the way we, we do this show together is we consume the team together I try to bridge the gap. I really pride myself on that. The breadcrumbs are there. Maybe the leaks are not there like they used to, but the breadcrumbs are there. And the leaks you got to be careful with because they could come from agents. There's agendas and leaks, believe me. The breadcrumbs were there from Buck and Billy to give you an idea without revealing proprietary information how they're going to build the team. And if you don't like it or you're not paying attention, that's on you. Don't get me angry. I think it's a solid plan. I think they have a solid team in place. I think there's a lot that, you know, we could glean from uh, this team that's positive. And uh, now, as far as City Field and the fan experience, I noticed, I even tweeted out a picture of it. Looks like they're moving that little right field enclave. I think there's like a, what I think they're doing, just looking from 
a standpoint of the ballpark, and this is visual, I think they're trying to even out the overhang with the fence a little bit. If I'm not mistaken, that's how I feel, like the right field fence. So it looks like there might be a couple more home runs dinked in there, possibly. All aligns with the game. They want more offense. I mean, let's let's call it like we see it, right? And um, it's supposed to be a fan experience. Maybe they'll have like a little area for them to hang out in there, and who knows. And then I saw, and I think I got this off of Mets Police. And you know what's funny? I'll just throw this out there. This Mets Police guy, uh, who I've met in person, by the way, many, many years ago, has, like, blocked me, and I don't know why. Uh, I just think he's somewhat overly, like, I mean, you want to talk about hives and dying on a hill? Like, this guy's part of it. But I thought he had a really clever, cool blog uh, that serves a really important purpose, almost like an alms budman of Mets baseball. But that's another point for another day. Uh, You know, there was a thing that I guess somebody got recently back in August about what the changes are going to be to City Field with how the Empire Club, an exclusive club, and a uh, speakeasy club. I mean, personally, I got to tell you, I went to the Hyundai Club this summer with my wife. And I do it like we try, the last few years we've done it because we, we stumbled upon the Hyundai Club a couple of years ago. We really enjoy it. You get all this free food. And I know, oh, Mike, I didn't know you were a one percenter. No, I got PayPal offers some pretty good deals where you could pay interest free for six months. I mean, going to a game, spending 500 bucks for two people, just me and my wife, going to a game. It wasn't like an easy decision. We had to say, okay, do we want to do this? Do we want to have to dinner this weekend? And if we do this, we're not going to dinner for a couple of weeks. Like we make choices just like you, like every other, you know, American, especially now is making choices. If you have kids, geez, like, I don't know how you guys do it. Like I don't have kids. I have dogs, you know? So it was a big commitment. And I understand how, you, you know, you read all this stuff and then you tie it into the toxicity. There's a point here I'm trying to make. And I can see where you get angry. Like, look how they're trying to accommodate the 1%. Make no mistake about it. And I told you this before. I know I've said it on this show. When Steve Cohen took over, I've talked to people who are pretty around that, pretty pretty much know that team and around that team. He wants to generate higher revenue Wall Street types, just like the Yankees, at Citi Field. And he's going to do it. And he's going to do it with things that are important to that clientele. And exclusive clubs and themes, that's what these guys are into. Maybe you and I want to go to the ballpark, enjoy the game, you know, debate whether the Bucks should bring in Joely Rodriguez instead of, you know, uh, you know, somebody else when they're down by a run instead of Seth Lugo. Sometimes the wealthy people who want to be an you know go out, enjoy company, have a ball game as the backdrop, they're necessary to have a three hundred million dollar payroll. I'm sorry, I know it changes, and I have a friend of mine who's a Yankees fan who keeps calling them the Chardonnay crowd. That's an old way of taking a shot at wealthy people at ball games. That's been going on. Look, the Red Sox have that issue. They call them the Pink Hat crowd. Cubs fans had that issue. It goes. Every team that's successful has that issue. And then you feel like, you know, the fans, the real hardcore fans, the fans that give the energy we talk about. And maybe you could say, is it this clientele that's the toxic component? They go there and they get a kick out of because they read on social media how to treat, you know, the team that or they read the narratives on social media. Sure, it's part of it. I worry about it. But I think there's enough of good fans that could outweigh the money people to make the experience at the ballpark pretty good. I mean, this is a crown jewel franchise. It's been underdeveloped by the prior ownership criminally for years, going back to the freaking 90s. 
I mean, the fact that the city can't figure out how to make that a really productive town or village without losing the principles, the social principles that they hold near and dear, with all the money in this city, I mean, now with the economy, it might be tough, but it just boggles my mind. I mean, it's typical of New York City, but it boggles my mind. That's a jewel there. There's no reason why it can't be like Pittsburgh. I mean, I go to Pittsburgh, I see this village I, a few years back. I'm like, why can't this be City Field? It's Pittsburgh, for crying out loud. You walk over the Roberto Clemente Bridge. They have a nice atmosphere out there. And I'm like, you know. I mean, there's only so much you could do in a parking lot with the cornhole game. It just, and I'm just rambling, I know. I'm riffing here on some thoughts. But a couple of things I'll just wrap up here with. One, like this shouldn't be this negative in your life. If the Mets are this negative in your life, if sports is this negative to your mental health, then you really need to, to get away from it. That's my friendly advice. Look, we get disappointed. It sucks. Believe me, I, guess, I, I do this and I have to step away and look at things on DVR because I just like, I can't do this right now. I have to enjoy my Sunday. I have a, a deck, a nice day. I want to be with my wife. I want to go here. I want to eat. I don't want to, you know. You know, right before the playoff game, I went out for a nice dinner with my wife. And I got to be honest with you, it was a nice dinner we went out to. But I was like, ah, it just wasn't the same experience because I'm worried about the playoff game. That's what you do when you're an obsessive fan like us. That's just, that happens. But when they lost, I moved on. And I didn't ruin the rest of my life over it. And I didn't spend all this time on social media getting angry. Let's move on and be productive. I'm not going to be angry when I see Steve Cohen behave of who he is, a one percenter. And build that ballpark for the one percenters. Now, does that mean that he's not going to uh, allow value-driven fans to have an experience? I don't believe he'll do that, and I think there'll be plenty of opportunities for that. But if you're going to get angry about the direction the Mets are going, then you can't play in a $300 million payroll world without that. I'm sorry. He's a businessman. He, didn't bu- he bought this to make money. Yes, he likes doing this. You know, public trust thing with the New York Mets and the fans. It's great for his brand, especially a guy that nearly went to jail. But that's not the only reason. That's part and parcel a secondary reason when he did the whole strategic analysis. It was a nice thing that was part of the purchase. Purchase was to make money. And if he didn't think he could make money, a guy that's made money his whole entire life, he wouldn't do it. So get ready. Like... That's who they're catering to. They want big money Wall Street coming in. They want to have what the Yankees have. The brown paper bag and, and Dodger fan from the 1950s that want to come and have a nice day at the ballpark and run the bases, they'll still do that stuff. But that's not the core of the team anymore. That still is the genesis of the group, but I think this will become more of a elite. I think the Met experience over the next five to ten years will start to look very much like the Yankees. I think they're going to spend like the Yankees. I think they're going to be in the high end of competition like the Yankees. I think they're going to be in every big free agent. They're going to be a New York elite team. New York is becoming a divide. You guys know that of the haves and the have-nots. It's been going on for a while. Now, do you shut out the have-nots? Do you make it less culturally inclusive? I'm not suggesting that because I think the Mets are more culturally inclusive to the the town than the Yankees. It's just my opinion. But you're not going to do that at the expense of saying no to Wall Street. You can't have the payroll. You can't justify it long term. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news. And if that's going to make this even more toxic, which I suspect it will, then that's part and parcel to what the world is about. And that's reality. And if you don't like it, I mean, you can try to change it, but I don't think it's going to change in the near term, at least not 
in our lifetime. Anyway, enough of my soapbox. That's it. Hope everybody enjoyed this edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Kind of a warm-up for the offseason, the blueprint, David Stearns. We even got into City Field and toxic fans and the environment. Love to hear your thoughts, of course. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet. Love to hear your opinion at Mike Silva Media. And you the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me and tell me I'm a dope or whatever, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Love to hear your thoughts about uh, what I said today. Mike Salat, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Stay safe out there on Halloween. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Yeah.